This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. With summer coming up, I'm already dreading not only the traffic on the roads, but also the increased cost of groceries and the fact that my children eat all day long. You know, we all have stressors. Some are big and some are small, like an increased grocery bill. But therapy is a safe place to actually get these stressors off your chest and to figure out how you can actually work through them. There are many benefits to therapy for people from all walks of life. It's helpful to learn positive coping skills so you don't freak out about that grocery bill and how to set boundaries. Therapy can empower you to be the best version of yourself, and it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's convenient, flexible, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Moore today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Russell Moore. This episode is brought to you in part by Dr. Tony Evans, author of Kingdom Kindness. Learn how to become a countercultural force by reflecting God's kindness. Find this and other uplifting resources on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Welcome to The Russell Moore Show. I'm Ashley Hales, the producer of The Russell Moore Show. And today we get to talk with Russell about his books. We have one of these about every quarter. And today we're talking about Russell's favorite books of 2023. If you already receive his newsletter, that's great. If you don't, if you're watching on YouTube or you're listening on your podcast app, we want to encourage you to sign up for his newsletter at russellmore.com because then you will have already received his top 10 book list. So that's a great way to get connected. And we want to say thanks, of course, to all of the CT Book Award winners, particularly Chris Watkin. Biblical Critical Theory was the CT Book of the Year. We had Chris on earlier, I think in March of this year. So what do you think of Biblical Critical Theory? Well, it's an amazing book, well-deserved uh, CT Book of the Year. And it, you know, I, I wish it were named something different because mm. I think there are a lot of people who could really benefit from the book who think it's about some sort of an analysis of theory right? <laughs> in, in a way that, in a way that it's not. And I think, I think there are some people who think that they have to be an expert on certain things in order to read the book. Or people, I've heard a lot of people who say, wow, it's so big that I don't know if I could get through it. And I say, yeah, but it's one of those books where you can go to the section that you're interested in mm-hmm. and you're not going to be lost. You can, right, you right. can really gain from that. So I, I think it's, it's really a helpful book to have. It is. It's a fantastic book. Um, my husband actually gave it away to his elders for Christmas mm. for a Christmas present as well. So it's a great reference book as well. But we want to talk particularly about 
the things that you are working on and working through. We have some memoirs. We have some social and historical commentary, some sermons, a graphic novel, a biography. So I'm going to read your top 10 books of 2023, Russell. And listeners, if you're like frantically trying to scribble things down. Don't worry. All of these, of course, will be in the show notes. And then we'll spend a little bit of time talking through some of the themes that all 10 books kind of bring us towards. So you have several books as we think about different themes that really are kind of working through this interaction between politics and Christianity and history. Several of your books really are drawing to that theme. We had Tobias Kremer on talking about the Godless Crusade, which in that book, right, he's describing the ways in which Christian symbolism has kind of been co-opted by these nationalistic agendas kind of historically and globally. And we also have Tim Alberta's book, and he has been recently on the show on the kingdom, the power and the glory, talking about white evangelicals in America and how they've kind of traded the gospel for political influence. As you think about those two books in conversation, The Godless Crusade and The Kingdom, The Power and the Glory, what are you hopeful readers of those two books will really come away with? Well, they're very different reading experiences for Mm -hmm. me personally. I'm surprised that I read Tim's book Mm -hmm. because I'm a character in it. You know, it's one of those things where I don't, just as a kind of self-protection mechanism Mm. or or a keeping my mind together mechanism, I never read any articles about me at all. Mm -hmm. And, Mm And so there are all kinds of things. Now, Maria does, but I don't read them. And so there are a lot of things that when I was reading through it, I would be thinking, oh, yeah, I forgot Mm -hmm. about that. And and and, but uh, it was a initially kind of wary reaction Mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. But he handled so accurately the situation, but also kind of tied things together in terms of storytelling Mm -hmm. in ways that ultimately were I think really beautiful mm-hmm. and that I was able to to look at and to say this is beautiful. I mean really mm-hmm. it really does and it and it it ends it ends in a dark place but I think there's a hopeful place to it too. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Tobias's book the the thing about that that was so good is because his research has been massively important for me in understanding what's going on around Mm -hmm. the world Mm -hmm. and to have it distilled and put together in one book, that was, that was really helpful as well. And, you know, on this show, when we had him on, Mm -hmm. I found out that he's the grandson of a confessing church Mm -hmm. pastor in Germany who Mm -hmm. was almost killed for defying the Nazi regime, Mm -hmm. which you know, really puts, I, I think that, you know, he doesn't talk about that in the book, but in both of those books, you have a personal aspect because yeah. Tim in his book is talking about his dad, who's a pastor mm-hmm. and a lot of the experiences going on in that church. And Tobias has this backstory that's really courageous and heroic and mm-hmm. something of what we're going to need throughout the world in mm-hmm. the days to come, I think. Mm-hmm. 
either through their narrative arc or through kind of the wide rangingness of Tobias's book, is there a sense in which, you know, as we read and engage with these stories and as we hear of, you know, political movements and changes shifting so drastically that we kind of can find ourselves like in a better spot instead of some of maybe the fear mongering or this kind of shouting across the aisles that seems to be so rampant in American life these days. I, you know, I told somebody yesterday and I was, I was quoting the old Edward Abbey quote. Uh, I'm a, I'm a long-term optimist and a short-term pessimist. And by <laughs> short-term, I mean the next 5,000 years. <laughs> and I said, it's not quite that way. I'm, I'm a long-term optimist, meaning I'm really hopeful and excited about where things are 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. I'm really apprehensive about the next five years. It's the way that we get to the other side of this. We have to go through it. We can't go right. around yep. it. Yeah, and so I think there will be there will be an ongoing sort of assessment of where we are, and then that also will play into what I think will be a retrospective of this time of mm-hmm. of looking back. I mean, that was one of the things I said when I was reading Tim Alberta's book. Mm-hmm. I finished it and I looked at Maria and I said, "Wow, that time in our lives was a lot." She said, you think? (laughs) And, and, but it was like, okay, it's one thing to live through it. It's another thing to have it all together right there in in front of you and to see it all together. And I think that's going to be the case just for this whole time period when people look back and try to write and explain, okay, what, what did COVID do? What did, you know, uh, secularization and church decline, what did it do? All of these things put together. Yeah. It's, it, mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot to look at. Yeah. You know, and as we think about, you have Mark Knoll's book, another historian on, on your list about C.S. Lewis's reception in America amidst Catholics, mainline Protestants, and evangelicals before World War II. What new thing, we know that you, you're quite a big Lewis fan, but what new thing do you learn in, the, in that book and how might that help us muddle through maybe these next several dark dark and gloomy times. Well, you know, one of the things, and if, if people are watching on YouTube, mm-hmm. they might see mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis with, uh, I put a Santa hat on him behind me. I, I think one of the things that this book was really helpful with is showing the long-term nature of, you know, to come to Eugene Peterson that we'll talk about later, mm-hmm. uh, that long obedience in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Because what the book really does is to show a completely different reception of C.S. Lewis as he was alive and writing from the way that we see him now. And, right. and even in terms of, you know, often there's a kind of British Christians are sometimes mystified by how many of us Americans are so devoted to C.S. Right, Lewis. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, this book shows how that was not the case when he was mm-hmm. writing. And it right. certainly wasn't the case that you had evangelical Christians like me, part of the Lewis fanboy club mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. in the 1940s, 50s, mm-hmm. 60s. Instead, what you had, Noel talks about the mainline Protestant audience, the Catholic audience, and the evangelical audience. 
And his argument is Lewis was best received by the Catholic audiences mm-hmm. and least well-received by the evangelical audiences. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. kind of interesting to read in, in there why. Mm-hmm. And so you would have some of the things that I would expect would be problems with Lewis, but there were other things that were were surprising, like mm-hmm. Lewis's understanding of adoption, the doctrine mm-hmm. of adoption, mm-hmm. which is fairly straightforward and mm-hmm. not that controversial now, mm-hmm. but was for a lot of people then. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it kind of shows how an immediate response to something does not necessarily tell you mm-hmm. what the actual response is going to be. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about somebody who maybe, you know, leads a small group or teaches a Sunday school class or does, does a prison ministry or something like that, sometimes you can think, am I really doing anything? Am I just yeah. sort of just speaking into the wind here? <laughs> and we tend to forget how usually what happens we're completely oblivious to how God's using it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was certainly the case with Lewis. And mm-hmm. as I was as I was reading this book, it, it just made me think about think about that and how how God works. Mm-hmm. And just how stories right stick with us and kind of take up residence and resonance for like generationally. Well, yeah, and that's the the David Brooks book that mm-hmm. I, I have on the list, How to Know a Person. He talks about the difference between what he calls paradigmatic thinking and narrative mm-hmm. thinking. Mm-hmm. And paradigmatic thinking is what analyzes data right. and information. And narrative thinking actually follows a storyline and mm-hmm. hits at not just the intellectual, but also the affective. And I think that's what was powerful about Lewis's writing is that you had, in some cases, a completely narrative mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. approach. You think of the, the Narnia books. And Lewis said, I'm, I'm intentionally doing this because so many people are overly familiar mm-hmm. in, in a way. They, they've heard the, the gospel so many times that they don't even respond to it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to hit them from the side mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it's not explicitly narrative, but it actually is. Just with the, the way that he's mm-hmm. the way that he's talking and the way he's using metaphor, making analogies, the the end of surprised by joy, in which he talks about longing, and he compares that with being hungry, yeah, and yeah. that being hungry is pointing you to the fact that, that there mm-hmm. actually is food and you need yeah. food, and that this sort of spiritual kind of longing does the same thing. I mean that that sticks mm-hmm. with a person I think for mm-hmm. a long time. It certainly does for me. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, 
Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your master's or certificate program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu slash admit. So you have a graphic novel of Watership Down. So tell us what that experience was like reading that and how that made your top 10 this year, Russell. Well, I am not a huge devotee of Watership Down. Mm-hmm. I mean, I liked it. I read it, but I'm not one of those people. I have I have friends who have read Watership Down over and over and really resonate with it. Yeah. I don't. But I also, I thought when I saw this graphic novel, I thought, you know, how are they going to do this with mm-hmm. this really dark book? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I talked about it in the newsletter how one time I was talking to somebody who said, oh, yeah, I read Watership Down. It was so sweet. <laughs> and I'm thinking, sweet. And then we we realize ultimately that this person was thinking of Velveteen Rabbit. Uh, and different the, rabbits. <laughs> very different <laughs> rabbit. So I thought, how will how will this will this graphic novel be able to capture that? And it does. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's beautifully illustrated. And it's able to get at the the sense of darkness and peril, even just the way that facial expressions are are used and landscapes are used. I thought it was just an exceptionally well done mm-hmm. sort of translation of Watership Down into a mm-hmm. new medium. Mm-hmm. So you have some memoirs on here, um, Beth Moore's, Esau Macaulay's. You also have the um, biography of King. The King biography is taking a historical figure and putting the figure into context and right. and sort of giving you this sweep of a life from a an outside kind of mm-hmm. perspective, mm-hmm. a historian's uh, perspective. And in in that case, I mean, there are there are some biographies that I just don't like to get because mm-hmm. I feel like I already know this story too right. well. So, right. you know, Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or Martin Luther King mm-hmm. or John F. Kennedy is another one. Right. It's similar to that. And so I'll think, you know, is there anything really here that I'm going to learn? Right. And I've been surprised uh, several times with the fact that there there can be. I mean, there was this magnificent biography of Lincoln a mm-hmm. few years ago, A. Lincoln, that mm-hmm. was just like, oh, I mean, there there's completely new insight here. And this King biography was similar. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was really, he was using a lot of new sources that that uh, people wouldn't have had access to in mm-hmm. the past, and also was just really good at storytelling. Mm-hmm. And so that's a very different thing than the memoirs, mm-hmm. where you have in Beth Moore's case, you have the memoir of a life. She's telling mm-hmm. the the story of her life. In Esau's case, he's telling the story of a family. Mm-hmm. So he's he's included in it, but it's a story of several generations, right. and both of those were were really powerful. I mean, I mm-hmm. I, I kind of like with the, the with some of those biographies. Mm-hmm. I felt like, well, I mean, I know Beth, so I know her story, 
Right. So I was expecting to, you know, have a few moments of surprise, but mm-hmm. but I was really struck by not just all the new things mm-hmm. that I found in this book, all the ways that it resonated with me in mm-hmm. terms of experiences that she she went through in an Arkansas context that mm-hmm. translate over to what I experienced in a Mississippi context and and then for it's just really beautifully written mm-hmm. and yeah. Esau's book likewise is I I said when when I read it, I did the blurb for it and said I think this is the best thing he's yeah. ever written it's fantastic. and it yeah. you know he has written some really good stuff mm-hmm. but it's powerful because it's not it's not just history what he's doing is th- there's a very personal part to it and the the part that i found the most moving about that book was esau talking about his father and mm-hmm. the the absence of his father and the way that sometimes he would, I don't know, overcorrect is not the right word, mm-hmm. but he would be in this cycle of constantly trying to prove that he wasn't his dad Yeah, in the way that he was being present for, for his kids that he realized actually was kind of keeping him from being present with his kids. Mm-hmm. And that was a, that was a really key insight, something I'd never thought about it before. And the way he talked about it, that that sense of performance, not in the not in the sense of, of fakery, but sometimes the the sense of I've got to be on this treadmill and right. prove that I'm prove that I'm able mm-hmm. to to do it. Mm-hmm. I think he really explained that beautifully. Mm, and then yeah, in I'm, Beth's in yeah, Beth's memoir, yeah. I mean, it's kind of similar to the Tim Alberta one, it, having lived through something and then mm-hmm. reading it. I mean, she and I lived through the same time period together, especially that time period after the release of the Access Hollywood tapes. Mm-hmm. And so getting to that part and sort of experiencing her experience of it was was powerful for me. Did the reading of those two memoirs teach you something about vulnerability or thinking about how to show up in your own writing and work? Yeah, I mean, I think I think both of both of those uh, memoirs were vulnerable without being morbid. Yeah, I, I guess right. I'm, I'm sort of searching for a word here, but both mm-hmm. of them came with the right kind of vulnerability that mm-hmm. if you think of Andy Crouch's right. weak and strong, that the kind of vulnerability that comes with authority. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought that was present in both of those memoirs. Right. It wasn't like a tell-all scandalous sort of thing, right. even though they're both dealing with quite hard, hard-hitting subjects, right? But, you know, there's a way in which they're telling a bigger story through even some of the suffering and the hardship. Yeah, and and they're telling a a complex story because mm-hmm. in neither of these books do you have a even when they're talking about really hard mm-hmm. and difficult mm-hmm. times it's it's mixed in with mm-hmm. all of the genuine affection 
and gratitude and, and, and all of those things, which mm-hmm. is, of course, the, the way that all of us ultimately, when we look back on our lives, everything mm-hmm. is going to be affected by sin and regret and loss. And yet there are flashes of God's grace all through that too. Mm-hmm. And they were able to keep those together in a mm-hmm. way that I think would help. I think that either of these books would help people who have completely different experiences, completely right. different experiences, be able to to feel mm-hmm. what what it is that they're talking about in a way that actually will help them make sense of their own experiences. Mm-hmm. And you think about David Brooks's book, How to Know a Person, which we mentioned briefly before, you know, thinking about the ways in which that that kind of comes at some of those same themes and questions the way that maybe you could think of Beth and Esau demonstrating, right? That mm-hmm. that Brooks's book in some ways tells us how to do that. It tells us how to actually be present with people. What did you learn from from that book? What 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 were some of your takeaways? I feel like this book was doing a similar thing that Esau and mm-hmm. Beth's book is doing mm-hmm. it, but doing it in a very David Brooksy way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, which is not memoir. It's right. looking at culture and psychology and so forth. So mm-hmm. I see, at, at, I see in this book kind of similar to Road to Character and mm-hmm. Second Mountain, his mm-hmm. his previous books. You take those three together they're very different and he even mm-hmm. mentions this in in the book he did uh, bobos in paradise right, yeah. several years ago about yeah. the bourgeois bohemians yeah. Yeah. and it was hilarious yeah, and right. insightful because mm-hmm. he was really seeing and looking at a trend and explaining it. but something has changed and mm-hmm. deepened for for david in which mm-hmm. he's able to kind of work through these questions of meaning mm-hmm. and moral formation in in these books. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was it was doing a similar a similar thing. I think that maybe even in ways that aren't apparent to him, mm-hmm. there's been growth and mm-hmm. deepening of maturity and meaning. Yep. in ways that that come out in these yeah. books. And I mean, right. not to say, I mean, every, he's always been brilliant and everything that he, he's written has been worth reading, but there's, there's a different way of coming at it now for him that I think is moving. Yes, it is. What I loved most of all about Israel and why I became a Zionist was because Zionism was a rejection of victimhood. A few weeks ago on CT's The Bulletin, we launched Promised Land, a new podcast about Israel and Palestine in a post-October 7th world. 6.30 a.m. we're we're in in our synagogue praying and sirens go off and and they're going on. Based on interviews and conversations captured on the ground in Israel last November, it's an exploration of the spiritual, political, and historical roots of the conflict. When there's a weak Israel, every Jew in the world is weak. 
And why should uh, a Russian Jew who has nothing to do with this land come, come here? Why? Well, I mean, if you want, you can give them Texas. You love them so much. I am alive because I wasn't, I, I didn't come home. But they, all my friends that were here were murdered, here, here, over there. This week, Promised Land moves to its own feed. You'll find links in the show notes. So if you haven't heard it yet, you can go catch up and catch the new episodes as they come all in one place. We have Tara Isabella Burton's book called Self-Made, where she talks mm-hmm. about how we have this kind of self-made identity and it's it's kind of overblown all the way from Da Vinci to the Kardashians. It's a fun book. It's I really appreciated just the ways in which she's saying it's not that we are unspiritual in the sense of what does increased secularization look like, maybe something like Charles Taylor would talk about, but rather what we really have is just kind of this movement, you know, that, that spiritualization has now moved kind of to, to the individual, um, whether it's crystals. Someone was telling me that like, Gen Z and Gen Alpha, like they're all into crystals and tarot card readings and kind of all of these alternate forms of spirituality. And so we see that that spiritual impulse hasn't left us. But what what did you enjoy about this book, Self Made? Well, I mean, first of all, she's a really good writer. Mm-hmm. She is. So she's she's a really good thinker and a really good good writer as well. And at least for me, one of the ways that I really know that a book is helping me is Mm -hmm. when there are parts of it where I say, oh, I've seen that, but I didn't know that I was seeing it. Mm -hmm. You know, so you, you, once you kind of look at it from the grid that the Mm -hmm. writer is giving, Mm -hmm. you're able to say, oh, I'm making sense of something that I actually have seen, but didn't know how to articulate. And she does that really well. She did that really well in her last book, Strange Rights, mm-hmm. and she does yeah. it really well in this one too. And you're right. She says, it's not that we're living in a secularizing time, meaning a subtraction mm-hmm. of God. It means that we're changing gods and mm-hmm. the the God that is present in so much of, of modern life is the internal mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she goes through to show kind of how that how that happens. So if you pair this book with the the Brooks book, mm-hmm. I mean David talks about uh, helping helping people to see the storyline of their lives and to mm-hmm. tell their their story. But he's talking about doing that in community. Right. Not performative. What, right. Not right. not yeah. performative and also not not self-delusional. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, what, yeah, she, yeah. what she's talking about is a writing of one's story almost ex nihilo. Right, right. And as a matter of fact, as I think about it now, I didn't think about it before, but as I think about it now, David in his book talks about kind of going back and editing one's yeah. life story mm-hmm. and about being able to see, okay, these were things that I can... I can put in a different context than what was present before. That's a very different thing mm-hmm. than creating a self mm-hmm. out of 
out of Nothing. air. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what this book is is about. And she shows how it happens. And and one of the things that was encouraging to me in reading this book too is the book does not say, oh, there are some kinds of people that this affects. Look at those mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. who are doing that. Mm-hmm. She's saying, this is the culture we're inhabiting right now. So mm-hmm. it affects all of us. And the question is going to be, does it affect us in ways that we mm-hmm. can see mm-hmm. or in ways that are invisible to us, which is the more dangerous of the two? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was, it's a really, I think, a helpful, a helpful book. What do you think? How would you answer that question, Russell? Yeah, I don't think we're able to see a, a lot of it because, oh, I was, uh, I'm trying to even think of who I was reading the other day, might have been Taylor in Sources of the Self, mm-hmm. in which he was talking about how it's, Im- it's impossible to be able to understand how a medieval person experienced right. the world. Yeah. And so it's really not possible completely for a modern person, even a believer, mm-hmm. to know what it was like for Martin Luther to be anguished because yep. he was looking at it through a a distinctly medieval way of thinking, the way the culture is uh, around him. And we are in this this completely other context. And so it affects the kinds of questions we ask, the things that we just think, well, this is just life mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than saying, oh, something is is happening here. And so I think it is largely invisible to us. And that's one of the reasons why it's helpful to be asking constantly, okay, what is going on and am mm-hmm. I being shaped by it? So that Romans 12 conform to the pattern of this world. In order to understand that, you have to understand what the world is that you're mm-hmm. living in right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that will explain how you're conforming to it sometimes in ways that you don't even think about or know. Mm-hmm. Until, yeah, we get a little bit broader, a broader view. Um, I'm, I've just started picking up Andrew Wilson's Remaking the World about 1776, mm. which is, he's a British author, but he's writing about how democracy and empire and so many different ways of being in the world, of course, shifted around that that year, but putting so many different themes kind of together to help elucidate a larger a larger whole. So anyway, that's it. Uh, yeah, I'll have yeah. to pick that up. I am reading right now, rereading yep. the Adams Jefferson letters. Oh, fun. Are you singing Hamilton as you go? <laughs> <laughs> it They are amazing. These letters back and mm-hmm. forth from John Adams to Thomas Jefferson, mm-hmm. because you have these two genius level, yeah. brilliant minds, but right. very different personalities. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. in a time when letter writing was yeah. just very different than the world we inhabit. And it just, it's, it's about everything from losing one's hearing uh-huh. to <laughs> religious opinions, uh-huh. to, you know, oh, is everything just falling apart? I mean, there's just so much in it. That's... That, that is really fun. So many of us have really appreciated the life and work of Eugene Peterson. And we have this posthumously released collection of sermons, Lights a Lovely Mile. Tell us, you know, 
Is that something that you you have been reading just kind of on your own, bit by bit? Is it a devotional reading, or did you just make your way through that? What does your reading life look like with Peterson's book, and what have you enjoyed about that one? I read it straight through because mm-hmm. I would I would read everything that I could that mm-hmm. Eugene Peterson wrote, and I find him to be such a remarkable writer and preacher. Yeah. And one of the things about about this collection of of sermons is there's not a lot of distance between his preaching and his writing. Mm -hmm. And so there are there are just insights in there that are, you know, I I think I mentioned in the list, there's a sermon on Simon the Magician. Mm Mm-hmm from Acts that's Mm -hmm. just astoundingly good. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there are a lot of of similar themes of things that Peterson has talked about elsewhere. But I think in this one, what you really see close up is the fact that he was pastoring this group of people, Bel Air Presbyterian Church. He was was enmeshed in those those Mm -hmm. particular lives. And I think you get to see it through the... Mm -hmm through the sermons here. Mm. You know, as, as we kind of wrap up, we think about, there's just so many great themes about like, what does it look like to be present, right? To be present in community and churches, or what does it look like to not only be present in your pain, whether that's generational or personal, but to, to also hold tight to redemption. You know, what does it look like to actually be present with another person with Brooks as well as Burton's books. So I think that those are all, Really big themes, I think, as we as we think about how we might show up in in twenty twenty four. Yeah, that's right. I hadn't thought about the common themes mm. until this this conversation, <laughs> but there there are several yeah. overlaps there. Well, that's what you get for having a you know an English PhD as your producer is. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about it thematically. What are you looking forward to reading next year, Russell? I don't know what is going to be coming in 2024. I do know that I'm reading right now because I was with a group of friends who were talking about this book, The Three-Body Problem, mm-hmm. which is a, a Chinese science fiction book. And it's the kind of thing I would have never thought I would want to read. Yeah. Uh-huh. My friends were saying, you have to Read it and don't give up because you'll want to give up about a fourth of the way through and then you'll want to give up about halfway through. Keep going. Okay. And they were right. I mean, it's a it's a fascinating book. And so I'm starting the second volume, Dark okay. Forest. Well, we'll look forward to chatting more about books in the new year for sure. And thank you for giving all of our listeners so many great books to, to think about as we as we wind down 2023. Well, thank you for the excellent leadership that you give us on this show in in producing and leading, and I'm very grateful. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. The Russell Moore Show is a production of Christianity Today. Executive producers are Eric Petrick, Russell Moore, and Mike Cosper. Host, Russell Moore. Producer, Ashley Hales. Associate producers, Abby Perry and Mackenzie Hill. 
Director of Operations for CT Media, Matt Stevens. Audio engineering provided by Dan Phelps. Video producer is Abby Egan. And the theme song for The Russell Moore Show is Dusty Delta Day by Lennon Hutton. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.